Uh, well, Amanda, I've got some strawberry lemonade vodka mixed with some strawberry strawberry lemonade truly and lemonade truly. That sounds complicated. It's real easy. It's liquor on liquor. What yeah. are you drinking? I kept it a little bit more simple. I've got a vodka and a coconut pineapple sparkling water. Well, that sounds kind of delicious. It's very delicious. Welcome to our first episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. Veterans Drinking Vodka. Cheers. Cheers. We have found that being a service member is very, very easy. However, being a veteran is, is a little bit harder. So we believe that every veteran has a story to tell, and today we are here to tell it. In the first episode, we're going to tell you a little bit about us. We're your hosts. We have known each other for what feels like a lifetime. It's probably been half our lives at least, hasn't it? 42 years? Forty, Yeah, 42 years. We have been best friends. Maybe not best friends, but definitely like really good friends for 42 years. When in reality, it uh, started around 2008 is when we met. And we were both serving at Naval Station North Island out of Coronado, California. I don't know. They don't call it Naval Base Coronado, or it's Naval Base Coronado now, right? It's not North Island. No, Naval Base Coronado is going to be further down where the SEALs are. Naval Air Station North Island. Is it still NASNY? It's not NASNY. I I don't know. (laughs) We don't know. It's... We've been out for a while. We've been veterans for a while. We're pretty good at it now, but we haven't always been good at it. (laughs) But anyways, Amber, we're going to talk about how your journey got started. So tell me, where, where are you from originally? I was born and raised in upstate New York. Oh, beautiful Um, country up there. It is beautiful. Have you been there? Not upstate New York, but I, Vermont, I lived in Vermont for a few years when I was a kid. Okay. Okay, so I mean, oh, been to upstate a little Vermont. I assume it's similar. It it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm a I'm a country girl, yeah. and I'm from a little tiny town where the same people I went to preschool with are the same people I graduated high school with. That's amazing. Yeah, I I suppose it it, it is. I guess. Right. So coming from that kind of town, why why did you decide to join the Navy? So my um. <laughs> My original reason for joining the military, and I'll tell you why I chose the Navy in a minute, but my original reason for joining the military was to pay for college. My parents weren't going to pay for it. That was what I knew was the only way to pay or to, to get an education where you didn't have to be so far in debt. So I joined the military to pay for school, had a goal. Uh, I was going to own a pink Hummer because oh, that's how yeah. na- how naive I was when it came to the military. Y'all, Amber wanted to own a pink Hummer. Let's let's take a moment of silence for that. Like, like what? three. What? Like three. Let's take a drink for that. Better, yeah, let's take a drink for the pink Hummer. Mm-hmm. I have a letter from boot camp um, from my grandmother talking about how I needed to stay focused in boot camp on my goals and stuff and in that pink Hummer that I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know. So the million dollar question is, did you ever get a pink Hummer? Never owned anything pink in my life, (laughs) except for a bandana that I keep losing. Oh my goodness. All right. So tell (laughs) me what, 
what branch did you join and what job did you pick to do in the military? So I ended up joining the Navy. That was because my recruiter who came into the school while I was a senior was very attractive. <laughs> and so I was sold on the Navy. Um, I'm not a, I played sports and <laughs> I played sports and stuff. And I, so I was athletic and whatever, but I, I'm not like muscle woman. And so I knew that I could succeed in the Navy and with the physical, I'm talking mad. That's mad <laughs> shit. You don't have to be strong to join the Navy. But so I actually joined the Navy. I did amazing on my ASVAB and um, chose the job of an air traffic controller. All right. And then how long? It's not this. Yeah, it's not. It's not the people on the ramp with the no. wall. Everyone, it is like no. If you want to know what an air weird does? You should rent the movie Push and Tin with Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton because that is the best depiction I've ever seen in cinema. How long were you in the Navy for? I was in the Navy for five years, two thousand and four to two thousand and nine. So out before me. When did you get out? Well, you can tell me when you go. Oh, yeah. You got out when? 2011. Really? Of 11, yeah. I got out December 09. Awesome. I, yes, ma'am. I feel like you were there the whole time with me, like you never left. Maybe in spirit. Well, I came, I left and came back. So, <laughs> does that count? Sure. All right. And where, where were you stationed at while you were serving? So, I was stationed, like you said, I was at North Island. School was in Pensacola. And then um, my original orders were to the USS Ronald Reagan CVN-76, which is an aircraft carrier based out of San Diego. So you did your whole career out of San Diego? My whole naval career was out of gorgeous, sunny San Diego, California. You left New York because you had a cute recruiter and you ended up serving in San Diego, California. You can't beat it. Hey, drink to that. Let's drink to that. Like every veteran, I know that you have some great sea stories. Uh, I know that you have a great sea story that you are willing to share with us today. I do. I mean, I'm sure that I have absolutely several, but I will, I will tell one while I was still on, on the ship, although I call everything a boat because you can when you're in the Navy. That's right. So I will tell, I actually got to fly on a helicopter onto onto the Reagan. I they were not in port when I got there and I got to fly on to onto it, which is not a very common thing. A lot of people don't no, get that. Not. You got to leave no. New York because you had a cute recruiter. You got to go to San Diego and then you got to fly on a helicopter. Yes ma'am. Your I story in a helicopter on your story to the boat. Better. <laughs> So I flew on and then uh, I was there a couple of days and then we pulled back into port and I had already, I met the people in my division, I met my, my air traffic controllers and stuff. And so we, uh, we were going to go out. So we were going to go out and I was 19 and I don't know, the oldest, the girl that I connected with immediately, her name's Danielle. I don't know her last name. I don't remember her last name. Um, the whole whole bunch of us were going to go out. And so because there were underage people that were going out, we had to drink before 
we got to where we were going. And we were going uh, to PB. We were at a hotel. And for those of you that don't know, PB is Pacific Beach. Pacific Beach. Pacific Beach in San Diego. Yes. And there's OB, IB, and PB. But we were going out to PB, and we there was a hotel room because everyone was stationed on the boat or living on the boat. So we had to get a hotel room. So we got a hotel room, and I'm drinking before we get there because I couldn't drink when we were out because I was only 19. And uh, <laughs> in Mexico. I'm I'm drunk before we get to where we're going. I can't remember the name of the place right now. If I looked it up, I could remember. So we get to the restaurant and um, we're all sitting at the table and it's outside and it's nice and whatever. And I cannot keep my head up because when I had my head up, everything is spinning and I'm going to throw up. So I have my head down. And the waitress comes by and says, hey, if, if she can't keep her head up, y'all are going to have to go. Like, she has to keep her head up. And I'm like, oh, I can't. Like, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. I'm, I'm not drinking then like I am now. And so um, I remember I was like, okay, I can keep my head up. I need to go to the, I need to go into the restroom. <laughs> so Danielle goes to take me and I'm going to throw up. And I can feel it. I can feel the throw up coming. And so we're walking and we round the bar and I throw up like this. And oh, I know, no. <laughs> I know oh, that no. there was throw up that came out. There's throw up. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> throwing up. So you guys, it's can't see, you guys can't see what she just did, but she just um, is telling the story about when she threw up in her hand walking around a bar. So she's a hot mess <laughs> in this story. Okay. <laughs> but but I can't uh <laughs> I it's not not Tom and it's not busy. It's the middle of the day. We had just pulled back into port at ten o'clock that morning. So it's probably like one or two in the afternoon. And so they she gets me into the bathroom and I'm in there and I remember throwing up and passing out in this bathroom stall for I don't know how long. And then and then they were, I was finally good enough and they, and they walked me out and, uh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And you've never heard that story before. I don't think I have. That one just came to me. That's one of my first sea stories to tell. <laughs> and there are so out of a, more to out of boot out. camp. Oh yes. Yeah. Out of boot yeah. camp, out of a school. Stories yes, ma'am. For days. Whew. I was not drinking like a sailor at 19 years old. That's for sure. None of us should have been drinking like sailors at 19 years old, but all of us were. <laughs> you did your time in the Navy and we went on all of our adventures. And then it comes time for you to exit, to get out of the service. How was that? That was actually, for me, it was a fairly easy shift out. I got out. I didn't, I didn't get tap school. I didn't get, here's what you do when you get out. I'm sorry that this is what happened to you, or this is what went on with you while you were in, but here you go. These are your papers and you're done. And I packed up my apartment and left. I went back home for a year. So I have zero support. That's good. That happened when I got out. 
zero, zero support. It has taken, I mean, I'm still, to, there are things to this day that I still stick with that are still important to me from being in the military. I mean, I don't like being late. It drives me crazy. And it drives me even crazier when people are late. <laughs> I know you're laughing right now. <laughs> Y'all like, she was late to our first recording. Yes, I was. So she can talk about that, but she was late to our first recording. <laughs> but I was late to our first recording because I was talking to a veteran who he was. She was had a feeling 100%. So. Late. But that's what's so funny about this story is that she was late today. It is. It is. But it was for a reason bigger than this. Yes. Um, I don't feel like there's enough support for people. Just because you didn't deploy, I never deployed. I was never in a technically in a war zone, but there's not support for people who aren't typical PTSD or mental health. There's nothing for you. And you kind of just have to figure things out on your own. And to me, whether you serve four years, five years, 18 years, 25 years, everyone needs the same kind of support. To know, just to know things. I mean, there's, you taught me things a week ago that I didn't know. So like, it's, it's hard to get out. And now you're, you're in your mid, if you get out, like after you served for five, five years, right? Five. So after you serve five years, it's hard to get out and, and figure out what you have to do to survive. And now you're not 18, 19, 20 entering the workforce. You're like in your mid twenties entering the workforce with the same knowledge of entering the workforce as someone that's 18, 19. And, and it's hard. It's hard to do. Or you're going to school in your mid twenties with 18 and 19 year olds who don't have a grasp on life yet. Right. Trying to figure out what's going on. And then how are you, how are you doing today? You know, I mean, I went, I got out, I went to school. I have my bachelor's degree um, in social work. So I'm a social worker. And for me, that has helped me be who I truly, who I've always been, but able to grasp and focus on the things that are important and other people are important to me. So today I have my small circle of friends. Amanda, you are super special and super important to me, and I'm excited about what the future entails for us. As far as knowing that there are options and there are organizations and there are people that are willing to help you, that are willing to to listen, to be there for you, that's where I'm at. I mean, I'm, I'm working for the state of Texas, getting by every day just figuring life out still. But here I am. Here we are. Well, let's, let's cheers to that. Let's cheers to that. And then. So then if you had, if you have one piece of advice that you could give to fellow veterans that were, were getting ready, either active duty, getting ready to go through the transition or veterans trying to find their way right now, what would that one piece of advice be? My one piece of advice for anybody um, would be, Do not ever be afraid to ask for help, whether it's a question that you have that you need the answer to, or it is you're so down and you don't know what to do. Don't be afraid to say what's on your mind and what you're going through because somebody's going to listen. Someone is always 
always going to be there for you. Yeah. Whether they're a trained professional, whether they're your friend, whether they're me, because I will always be here for anybody. Don't be afraid to ask for help. For sure. That's great advice. It's hard. One of the hardest things that we go through is knowing. It's truly, truly hard. Is knowing when we need to ask for help. Yeah. All right. But uh, Miss Amanda. Oh, hot seat. I'd like to do a cheers real quick. What are we cheersing to? We're cheersing to you. I like when we cheers to me. Perfect. Tell us about you. Well, where are you from? I am from a small town east of Phoenix called Apache Junction, Arizona. And Amber's been there before, so she's she's laughing at me a little bit right now because she knows it's, it's <laughs> yes, a hard I town. <laughs> it's a hard town to grow up in that Apache Junction in Arizona, but uh, <laughs> you know, right at the base of the Superstition Mountains, if you know where that is, it's beautiful, beautiful country, and it's. It's not a horrible place to grow up and it just wasn't wasn't somewhere that I saw myself being for the rest of my life. I decided to join the military because I didn't have the grades to go to college because I was distracted in high school by, you know, the fun things that Arizona has to offer, like the lake and the desert and hiking and all those fun river. the river that were more fun than going to school. So I enlisted and then I said D equals diploma and my grades went to garbage because I, I had a plan and I didn't need to be top of my class to, uh, to accomplish that. And my whole reason 100% for joining the military was so that I could see the world. And that was all I wanted to do was see the world. When I went to, so I, I joined the Navy for the sole purpose of seeing the world and seeing the world is why I, decided on the Navy over some of the other branches. Like that was my sole motivation. I knew I was going to leave my hometown. I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. And I knew that I was going to see the world. How much of that world did you see? A lot. I saw a lot of it. I joined the Navy in May of 2001. We weren't at war at that time. It was, it was a peaceful military. We had the whole world like the world was our oyster. Like we were ready. I went to boot camp, and I went to a school and then September 11th happened and then we were at war. So I saw a lot. I saw a lot of the world while, while I was in, I joined the Navy, like I already said. And then uh, like you, my ASVAB scores qualified me to be an air traffic controller. However, those are high ASVAB scores, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. However, I totally got it by accident because I wanted to be a photographer and a journalist and I was going to do that <laughs> and I was in the world and I went to MEPS and I told the counselor, I said, I want to be a photographer and I want to see the world. And he said, we don't have any quota for you to be a photographer. And I said, oh, well, I want to be an air traffic controller. And I, like a lot of people thought an air traffic controller was the really cool people on the flight line that got to like wave the aircraft off. Like, like Top Gun, I was going for Top Gun right there. That like the music, like that's what was in my head at 19 or 18. The music, <laughs> the fun, the glory, all of that. I was going to be an air traffic controller with my wands on the flight deck. And I was going to launch aircraft into war. Like that was my plan. <laughs> and I, I like 
dead straight face, 100% conviction said, I want to be an air traffic controller. And he said, oh, your ASVAB scores qualify you to be an air traffic controller. And we have one spot left. So that is how I became wow. an air traffic controller. <laughs> that is so amazing. That's so amazing, though. <laughs> To think of the luck. Right, right, yeah. And then I was so glad that it wasn't what I thought it was, and it actually was what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, because it's not. Because no. it's not that. Y'all, Push and Tin, if you want to know what an air traffic controller does for real, watch Push and Tin, because we are that crazy. That's so, so how long were you in for? So I joined in 2001, and I served until 2011. So I was in just short like two months short of 10 years when I got out. And you were stationed where? I went to school like you in Pensacola. And then I was stationed for my first duty station at Woodby Island, Washington, which was incredible. That area is so cool. Oh, PNW is on my bucket list. Yeah, we should take a trip there sometime because it is gorgeous. And I still got some. We will. There, so, you know, I always know a guy. So I left there. And I went to the USS Tarawa out of San Diego and I served on the USS Tarawa for three years. And I finally, finally got to see the world. So that was an incredible experience. I got to travel full Westpac all over the country or all over the world. And, and then when I left the Tarawa, I, I finished my career at Naval Station, North Island on Coronado. And that's, that's where I got out was Coronado. So. I got to do a big portion of my career in the Pacific Northwest and then finish it in San Diego. So I'm 100% a West Coast sailor. West Coast is the best coast. <laughs> West Coast is the best coast. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have the East Coast to compare it to, but <laughs> yeah. I had a we good don't time. need a comparison, though. We already know. We know. We had a good time on the West Coast. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's, hear, let's hear a story. All right. So... One of my very favorite sea stories to tell is when I was stationed on board the Tarawa. Hold on. Can we can we take a drink to your story before we hear it? We can because it's a pretty good one. All right. Veterans drinking vodka. Here we go. Cheers. I was stationed on board the USS Tarawa, and we were in Australia. And so we were... There for a week, the Marines had to do a week-long training with the Australian Army. And so we just had all kinds of all kinds of free time. And let me tell you, because I joined the Navy to see the world, I was an MWR warrior. Like before we pulled into a port, <laughs> I was at that office. I was like, what tours do you have? Where can I go? What can I see? Like I refused to be that sailor that did three years on a ship and saw nothing but the inside of the ship. So I was on a tour. And it was a tour of the city. We were in Darwin, Australia, Northern Territory. It was a tour of the city and a sunset cruise on a boat. And people are like, you just came off the boat. Why do you want to go back on the boat? And I'm like, well, because it sounded like fun. And I get to tour the city and then go on a sunset cruise. So we did. Me and, um, or I should say my Liberty buddy and I, who was by my side my entire cruise, uh, she joined me because she hopped on my MWR warrior train and we got on a bus and we toured the city of Darwin and we got on this sunset cruise and somehow the captain of this little 
charter boat, which it wasn't that little. It was like one of those boats that like people get on and like you sit and you can look out the window and you can see the whole Harbor. And it was, you know, it was gorgeous, but it was such a tourist thing to do. And somehow the captain of this boat found out that we were in the United States Navy. So from that point on, he referred to us as the American war heroes. And he was like, the American war heroes are on our boat. And so he got on the loudspeaker and let everyone know that the American war heroes were, were on the cruise with him. And then it became open bar. Like we had drinks with the other passengers that were both tourists and locals and we were chatting with the captain and it was it was so much fun but like we got off the boat and we were hungry bordering hang <laughs> but you know we both of us like we connected my liberty buddy and I because we both wanted to see the world so we get off and we say hey captain where is a great place to go eat somewhere local to where we can get some of the local cuisine? So he says, let my mate and I tie this boat up and we'll take you to our yacht club. So there are several stories in my life where I'm surprised that I'm still alive because we said, okay. <laughs> and we waited for, for him and his mate. And I, if, I wish I had an Australian accent because they had the best Australian accents um, to tie the boat up. And we climbed in their little, 1982 Toyota Corolla, and we're in the 2000s. <laughs> this is little Australian Toro- Toyota Corolla. Toyota Corolla, you know, because they drive on the wrong side of the street. And we go to his, we we go to their yacht club. It wasn't a yacht club. It was a business club. It was, and the um the kitchen already closed, but because we were American war heroes, they reopened the kitchen. And they made made us fresh caught fish and chips. It was the best fish I have ever had in my life. And we drank rum and rum and Coke. No whiskey and Coke, whiskey and Coke out of a can. Cause in Australia, they sell it out of a can. We drank whiskey and Coke out of a can and had the best fish and chips I've ever had in my life. And we hung out with the Australian natives for like, like all the locals. And they were some of the coolest people I've ever met. And then, at the end of the night, they went back to their their boats. We hopped a cab back to our boat, and then we we got up the next day and kept on trucking on our next tour. So that is that is so amazing. One of my favorite sea stories that I have ever been through because it was, you know, it could have it could have gone a million different ways, but it ended up being so much fun. That, well, that's my story. Well, so, we need a cheers to cheers, that story. Cheers to the Australia. Cheers. Cheers to Australian and the American War Heroes. And the American War Heroes. Yes. <laughs> well, I know that there's a lot of fun stories while you're in. And like, like I talked about, I mean, there's so many stories while you're in. But what about now? What about your story about getting out? My story about getting out was, was a little bit tough. I got out in 2011. And the process for that started in 2010. When I got notified that the Navy was downsizing and I was an E6 in the Navy and they no longer had quota to keep me as an air traffic controller. So I had to go talk to the career counselor and they said, that's fine. We can't keep you as an air traffic controller, but you can join another rate. You can stay in the Navy. You just have to do it as, as another job. So I was like, all right, cool. So I put in for another job. 
and you had to pick your top three. So I put in for three jobs. I couldn't tell you what they are now. It, it was a long time ago and none of them I was really passionate about. And then they came back and said, there's no quota for an E6 in any of those jobs either. And so then they said, so we're going to open it up to every rate in the Navy. And at that point, they sent it out to all the rates in the Navy. The Navy was downsizing by so much that there wasn't quota for an E6 in any of those jobs either. So they said, they said, we're sorry, we don't have a job for you to go into. You're going to have to get out of the service. So it was, it was the equivalent of being laid off. And I was not prepared for that. I was going to continue to see the world. I was going to retire. That was my 20 year plan. And, and then, so it was like having the carpet pulled out from under me. Like I was not prepared and I had to defend myself at that point. I had to say, no, I don't deserve a general discharge. I deserve an honorable discharge. I had to go see a JAG attorney. I had to present my case. It had to go up in front of a board. They recommended retention. They sent it to Bupers. Bupers said, no, we don't have quota to keep an E6 in the Navy right now. So at that point, it went back to the commanding officer at North Island, which, bless his heart, I had a decent relationship with with those people because of my job. A lot of people didn't have that same kind of relationship. And he ended up just giving me an early out honorable discharge. And so I did get an honorable discharge. I didn't have to get out on a general discharge at that point. And then I had to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I had no, no idea. So I went home, just like you, I went home for a year. And I was like, oh, this is no good. No good. I love my home. I love the people there. I love my friends. But I, I had a hard time adjusting to life back, back where I grew up. And that's when... I started putting out applications. I was just throwing them out there. I said, I don't care who hires me, but I've got to go somewhere. And so then the railroad hired me in Texas. And so they said, when can you start? I said, give me two weeks. I literally sold everything I owned. I packed my essentials in my Fiat and I I came to Texas and I started over. And you didn't have the bug? No, I didn't have the bug at that point. Like, I know I had that bug forever. I love that car. But yeah, you did. <laughs> it started costing me more than it was worth to fix it. So I, I traded it for, for a little Fiat. And I drove that for quite some time. But yeah, so I ended up in Texas. And I had no support system. Like you said, you had no support system. I had no support system here. I was working hard. I was playing hard. I didn't have anyone to watch my back. I was all by myself. I got into quite a bit of trouble and it took me quite a long time to get out of it. And that, that was a process and it was, it was not something that I regret. It's not something that I look down upon. I'm very open about it, but it's not, it's not something I would do again for sure. It was, it was hard times. It was low times. It was dark times. It was hard times. And it was hard to adjust to, to being in a new place without a support system because in the Navy, you, everyone is your support system everyone right so that, that's female khaki well tell me we let let's talk a little bit more about that yeah what do you want to know so what have you done to get to where you are now and then on top of where you are now compared to when you first got out what advice would you give to people that are fixing to get out so now i i no longer work for the railroad it was a blessing and a curse i love working for the railroad i love my job it was a hard hard job. You don't sleep. You're always on call. You don't know when you need to be there. You work in the rain, you work in the snow, you work in the sleet, you work in all weather. You're pushing heavy equipment. 
I was. Hey, hey, it don't snow in Texas. It, it snows sometimes. Sometimes it does. In North- don't tell people that. <laughs> it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick ever. Like you go to sleep and, it, and wake up and it won't be there in the morning. But it, it ices. Maybe not snow. It's definitely ice, though. And if you've ever had to work on the railroad in some Texas ice, it is not fun. <laughs> but um, I was also I was also a lady, a lady on the railroad with a bunch of old school railroaders. So they they didn't like me. They didn't understand me. They didn't know where I came from. They didn't understand why I got the job that I got. So that was that was tough like proving my worth every day to a bunch of old salty railroaders. But I did. I did it. I got into the engineering program. I started driving trains. It was it was awesome. But it was also a grind. And now that I I went through what I went through and I I got myself out of it, I'm not grinding anymore. I I look healthy. I feel healthy. I work a a part-time job. I go to school full-time right now on my GI bill. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but right now I, I sleep at night. My weekends are free. I'm not on that 24 hour grind that I did when I was in the service and when I was with the railroad and, and I travel like every chance I get, I'm on the road, I'm traveling somewhere. I'm seeing something. I'm finally finally living my best life mm-hmm. and I, I still don't know what that life is going to be or where it's going to go but I know that travel is going to be a part of it and whatever I do from this point on is going to be my decision mm-hmm. and it's not going to be someone else's decision that's a liberating feeling <laughs> it it really is it really is and if if our hey, we can cheers to that we can we can cheers to that doing what we want to do and yes so what advice do you have don't give up don't ever give up, even if you don't know where you want to go or what you want to do, or even if you don't have a support system in place, just, just keep going, just keep going because I could have stopped a lot of times on my journey and I didn't. And, and the further we get into this podcast, the more, the more I'll open up about that journey. But if you need help and you're a veteran, go to the VFW go to the American Legion, like talk to those people. If you don't have anywhere else to go, or if you don't know what else to do, like walking into the VFW when I was at my lowest probably saved my life. And, and that's, that's for real because those people already know where you've been and what you're going through. And you don't have to explain that you can just start the healing process. And that's like, just don't stop. Just don't give up. And and you also have us, um, we are available. We are. We are. We are. Actually, you can find us on, on Facebook at Veterans Drink and Vodka. You can find us on Instagram at Veterans Drink and Vodka. You can email us at any time, veteransdrinkandvodka at gmail.com. We'll have a Twitter. TikTok. We're on the TikTok. We're on the TikTok. Also, Veterans Drink and Vodka. The cool thing about this podcast is no yep. one else had our name. So everything, we're on all the things at Veterans Drinking Vodka. Reach out, send us a DM, send us an email, tell us your stories. We're always looking for guests. This is our first show, so we wanted to introduce ourselves to you guys. But we are always looking for, for guests that have stories to tell. If you're a veteran, reach out, let us know. We will get you on here. You can tell us your story because that's so empowering. And Amber, why don't you why don't you tell them a little bit about the, the charity we've chosen to support in our in our journey? All right. So so this entire podcast, for as long as it lasts, for as long as Amanda and I are here, we will be supporting 
and backing and doing anything we can do for the Till Valhalla project in the 22 a day. There are statistics that are astronomical and they vary from year to year, but nothing ever changes the fact that veterans are killing themselves every day. 22 a day is for 22 veterans killing themselves every day. And for us, 22 a day is 22 too many. It's way too many. One is too many. And so one, one is too many. And so we will be fully supporting, fully backing the Tovahala project and 22 a day. That, that will be on top, of, on top of the mental health and mental health awareness of the issues that come with being a veteran and knowing people that were in the military and experiencing things that not many people have experienced. We're, we're here and we are, we are full support of getting help for, for your mental health. And we are here to, to bring the awareness of 22 a day. Absolutely. And that, that, is, our, that is our goal. Yes, we're here to talk about fun stuff from the military. Yes, we're here to talk about ourselves. But we're also here for each other as a community and to prevent tragedies happening because people have felt like there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to turn. There's nothing else they can do. So our, our mission, our goal, our purpose beyond veterans drinking vodka is the Till Valhalla Project and 22 a day because 22 a day is 22 too too many. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So if you like our podcast, you like our message, you like what we're doing, follow us. We're, we're going to be on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts. We've got a few other smaller platforms that we're going to be publishing on and then leave us a review. Let us know. Let us know if you like what we're doing. Let us know if you don't like what we're doing. Let us know if you think we're funny, if you think we're mean, if you think we're crazy because we are, we are crazy. Yes, we are. Let us know what we can do better. Yeah. Give us some feedback. We're brand new podcasters. Uh, we're doing this because we have a passion for, for our message right now. And, uh, so let us know, let us know if you want to be on our show, let us know if you think we can do something better. If you like what we're doing either way, follow us and give us a review and, uh, that's going to keep us on the air. So to all of you, we, we love you. We support you. And for all of our fellow veterans out there, you are never alone. Never, ever alone. Let's, Let's drink to that one. Veterans drinking vodka. Veterans drinking vodka.